soon we'll begin the uh, study of the book of Second Timothy, excuse me, Second Peter, uh, together uh, on Sunday morning. This morning I wanted to look at John 17 together. I just uh, want us to see, be reminded, really, as we were just listening to in song of the the great love that our God has for us. In order for us to be the men and women that God would have us to be, it requires that we understand that God has to do in us what needs to be done. And in order for us to really enter into that, we have to understand his purpose and his love for us. If you will lay hold of how much God loves you and how, how much he purposes to change your life, it will change your everyday life as you walk with him instead of trying to walk for him. There's all the difference in the world between trying to walk for God, to please God, and walking with God who's on your side. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, we see God on our side. If you, so you're in John 17. Go back to John chapter 1 for just a moment. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, in verse 1, James, you're going to have to turn me down a little bit because I haven't raised my voice yet, and I will before I'm done. <clears throat> in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We see here in the beginning of John, John chapter 1, these, these first four verses, we see the great power and Godhead of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, if you'll go to verse 14, in verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glories of the only begotten of the Father, notice this, full of grace and truth. The Lord Jesus became flesh to dwell among us, to show us God, to live a perfect life, and then to lay down that perfect life. He's going to trade his perfect life in death so that we can have life. And that we can have it, by the way, more abundantly. That's what he's going to do. Now, in this very passage, by the way, if you go to verse uh, 11, it says, He came unto his own. Verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Now, we already know that. It said that up in verses 1 through 4. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The world did not recognize the Creator. In the age in which we live, the, the world we live in actually denies that there is a Creator. We have reached the point in the United States of America where we teach our children that we are just an accident. There is no God. We weren't created with any purpose. This is why they behave like animals. And I don't mean to be unkind when I say that, but they behave like animals because they were told that they are animals. But we're not. We're not animals. 
We were created in the image of God, and we were given tremendous, tremendous giftedness, abilities. Just, just not only the ability to sing, if you will, because the birds can sing, but to be able to compose the music that we sing, to be able to worship from the inside. We were created with such splendor, and it's so marvelous. But he came unto the world, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own. He came to the Jews who have the word of God and have had it for hundreds of years, thousand years at this point. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, oh, what a promise this is. Please hear me. As many, as many, as many, as many. How many? As many. Who can come to Christ? And the answer is whosoever will. It is a matter of your will. If you are willing to, he is willing to. A man who was, who was not whole came to the Lord Jesus and said to him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. In other words, he had no doubt that Jesus was powerful enough, but he had no reason to believe that Jesus would care about him. Why would God care about me? Why would God help me? If you will, you can make me whole. And Jesus' response is such a wonderful response. I will be thou whole. I will. Jesus says, all that come unto me, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. What can keep you from Jesus? And the answer is coming. Right? The only thing that can keep you from Jesus is you not coming. If you'll come, if you'll come in humility and honesty, he will receive you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Now, that you, now listen, there are actually people, I've had so many people when I make a statement like that, when I'm preaching somewhere in a conference, will come up to me afterwards and say, well, there are limits. No, no, no. See, people who say, while there are limits to those that Christ will receive, think that there are less sinners than the people around them. See, we're all sinners. We're all terrible. We're all selfish. We, our selfishness may be different. Some people's selfishness may seem to be to others less attractive or even more hideous, but we are all sinners. And Christ says, if you will, you know, the Pharisees at one point, he was healing a blind man. And he was talking about blindness and his ability to heal all that are blind. And the Pharisees said, are we blind also? And his answer to them basically was, I wish you were. I wish you would acknowledge that you are. Because if you could acknowledge that you were blind, I could give you sight. But because you think you have your own sight already, I can be no help to you. See, the only thing that can keep you from Jesus, the only thing that can keep you from forgiveness is not coming. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. If you will come to Christ, he will give you the authority. That's what that word means. If you will come to Christ, he will give you the authority. He will stamp it. He will seal it. He will cause it to happen. To as many as believed him, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus of Nazareth. If you will simply, hear me, please hear me. You need to believe Jesus at what Jesus says about himself. Do you understand? Not what I say to you about him, but what he says about himself. Just open the word of God. Open the word of God and allow the word of God to speak to your heart. Uh, someone was sharing with me recently 
that someone that they care a great deal about, they had been spending time with them in the Word of God. And they said, but they began, they began to come under conviction. And so they have stopped the sessions. They no longer want to meet with this dear one who wants to meet with them just to open the Word of God together because they do not want to be confronted with their sins. But see, before you can receive the good news, you've got to know the bad news. Before you can receive Christ as Savior, you have to recognize that you are a sinner. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the sessions this past week was a, uh, a missionary uh, speaking to other missionaries. And he was talking about them coming into churches and being treated poorly, not, giving what they, not, being, not being able to get what they deserve while they're visiting the church. And he said, but, but brother, I deserve hell. That's what he said. That's what you deserve, hell. You don't deserve anything from the pastor or from the church that you're visiting. All we all deserve is hell. And anything less than that is wonderful. But Jesus has so much more for us. So much more for us. What does he have for us? Life. To be able to be the sons of God, that's what he has for us. Now, turn with me. I want to go about halfway through. I want to go through the end of the public ministry. We talked about these things. The reason we're in John chapter 17, by the way, is we've been looking. We looked. We just finished in our steps of faith. We just finished looking at the Spirit of God. And, and what we see is that we saw in John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, both the promise and the purpose of of the Holy Spirit. But I want to take you back to just before that, to John chapter 12 again. Go back to John chapter 12, verse 44. John chapter 12, verse 44. This marks the end of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the private ministry of the Lord Jesus is only going to be a day and a half. And yet a great deal of space is given in the gospel of John to that private ministry. But here at the end of the public ministry, notice what he says. Jesus cried and said, now it doesn't mean he wept and said, he does weep, but he's not weeping here. What he's doing is he's crying out loud. The point here is he wants everyone to hear this. Everyone who was in his public ministry, these are the parting words to everyone that hears him publicly. He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. If any man, if, and if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. Now, I want, look up here for just a moment. It's such a remarkable thing to me. This is what Jesus is saying. I came to save you. I came to rescue you. And if you reject me, I will not condemn you. But if you reject me, the words that I have spoken one day will speak against you. Even this morning, if you're here this morning and you've not received Christ, I'm not asking you to have a religious experience. I'm not asking you to go through some drama in a church. What I'm asking you is this, receive Christ at his word, period. Just believe Jesus at his word. And this is what he says, 
If you believe on me, you don't just believe on him, you believe on the God that sent him. You believe on the Father that sent him. Remember, God the Son was willing to become flesh for us. He always existed. By the way, we go back, we're not going to turn back there now, but if you go back to John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. That word was is a being verb in Greek, which means to always be. And then when it says he became flesh, that is actually the verb to become something. The idea is this, he was always God, but he became man. Amen? So when you see him and we beheld his glory, we saw, if you want to see the glory of God, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He came so that we could see how God behaves himself in a a sinful, wicked world. And boy, what a marvelous thing it is to behold how our Lord Jesus behaves himself. Verse 49 says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Those are his last words. Here's what he says. Believe me. Please believe me at my word. If you reject me, I won't condemn you. Because I didn't come. Boy, isn't that wonderful? What's he say? Let's look at it in verse 47. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus came to save the world. God came to save the world those that will be in hell and there will be many in hell unfortunately those that will be in hell will be there because they rejected his word they rejected the testimony of their conscience they rejected the testimony of the creation and they rejected the testimony of the word of god that's all that's it period. That's what condemns people. You say, no, no, no. Lying condemns people. Adultery condemns people. Murder condemns people. All of us are guilty of those things. All of us are guilty of terrible things. Do you understand? All of us are guilty. That's not what condemns us. That is what causes us to be condemned, but that's not going to be what causes you to not receive forgiveness. The only thing that keeps you from forgiveness is you. Just you. If you will humble yourself and you will, I don't know why God is focusing on this so much this morning. There's someone here who really needs to hear this. If you will be honest, God will save you. If you'll be honest, God will save you. You say, but you don't know where I am. I don't have to know where you are. Jesus knows where you are. He knows absolutely everything there is to know about you. And he said, I didn't come to judge you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. By the way, the name Jesus means God is salvation. Now turn to John chapter 17. We're only going to be here for a moment. John chapter 17. I just want you to see together. So we, in John chapter, we talked about it already. We don't have time to look at it again this week. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, the Lord Jesus is promising to send the Spirit of God, and he's telling us what the purpose of the Spirit of God is going to be when he comes. So let me just say this simply. Jesus Christ, listen, this is so important, didn't just come to pay for your sins. He came to be able to pay for your sins so that God could send forth the Spirit of God. Now, 
We all know this. Most of us know this. Perhaps everybody doesn't. Probably most people do. The name Emmanuel. Anybody tell me, somebody just say what Emmanuel means. That's a lot of you. God with us. And what's better than God with us? And the answer is God in you. Better than God, listen, better than God right here in this room with us is God inside you. And see, Jesus Christ came because the promise of God is that I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new mind. And Jesus being with us is wonderful, but it doesn't give me a new heart. It doesn't give me a new mind. And I needed a new heart and a new mind. Amen? So Jesus came to purchase that which was necessary so that I could be a new creature, so that I could have new life, so that the Holy Ghost would come and live inside me and inside you. And that is wonderful. That is marvelous. And it's not just wonderful. It's not just marvelous. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. In fact, it is all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Those who profess to be followers of Christ who are not loving and gracious and long-suffering and patient, I'm not sure that they're new creatures. Because that's what happens when Jesus saves you. Those that go to church and try to put forth religious effort, that's not going to get them into heaven. You must be born again. You must be born again. And if you are born again, praise God, because it changes everything. It gives you a new song. Amen? Doesn't it give you a new song? I was commenting, so I was riding on an airplane uh, on the way home. We were six hours later. I was actually on the first plane. This This happened to me once before. Did anybody ever be on the plane and then ask you to get off the plane? Right? I was on the plane. And they came on, the captain, the captain actually walked out where we could see him, walked out and said, I hate to say this to y'all, but I just got a call from LaGuardia, we're not going to LaGuardia for at least two and a half hours, and I'm not sure we're going to go then. He said, so I'm going to have to have y'all get off this plane. And what I realized, only half of us were on the plane, and it's kind of funny, this is just how my mind works. My immediately thought were, they already told the people at the gate that they're not getting on the plane, they're already in line to get tickets to go wherever they were going. So those of us that are on the plane are going to get off the plane and get into a line longer than the one we would have got into. And now we're going to have to get a flight someplace else. And that is what happened. And six hours later, I left Madison, Wisconsin. Now, think about Madison, Wisconsin, okay? Madison, Wisconsin. Anybody ever been to Madison, Wisconsin? That's a lot more people than I thought would have raised their hand right there. Amen? Okay, so this is commuter airplanes. These are just little tiny airplanes, right? This, these, are, these aren't jumbo jets because it's Madison, Wisconsin. It, it is not a hub. It's just going to go to a hub, right? So I knew we weren't going to any of the East Coast hubs. I knew now we're either going to go to Detroit or Atlanta probably. That's probably where we're going to go. And I've just flown enough to know that this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, we're going to go through Detroit. But not for six hours we're not going to go to Detroit. So when I get to Detroit, I, I arrive at a Detroit who, by the way, had a whole bunch of people already in it who also weren't going to LaGuardia or to Newark, or anything on the East Coast. And so the the airport, listen, the airport was now full of people, full of people, most of whom had been there too long already, okay? And many of them at our gate, I'm not exaggerating, I told my wife, there are 50 people on this plane, and 30 of them are under, under 12, okay? I said, it must be like a child convention or something like that. I have no idea what, what's going on here. This is, anyway, so we're going, listen, I, I, this all has purpose. Trust me, this all has purpose. So I'm going to fly on this plane. As, you, as many of you know, Kelly Krasinski had fallen the night before. 
and she had hurt her neck, and she'd gone to the hospital, and I was at the hospital all night long with Dan and Kelly. So I haven't slept. It's now late in the afternoon. I, by the way, we, by the time we left Detroit, I was already supposed to be at home, okay? So we're leaving Detroit, and there were two girls at the gate. There were a bunch of girls, but there were two girls specifically at the gate. They were sisters. They were less than two years apart, and they didn't like each other. And, and they fought about everything. They fought about which one of them could have what color ice cream. I mean, I'm talking, I'm really not exaggerating. And so I thought, Lord, would it please you that they not sit near me when we get on the plane? <laughs> right, right in front of me. <laughs> and Dad said, you sit on the inside, you sit on the aisle. I want to sit on the aisle. I'm not joking. And that went on. And the poor dad was like, I don't care which one of you. I want to. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't relent. And so finally he said, I'll sit on the aisle. You sit over there. So, one, so that was, girls were divided by dad. <clears throat> and, then, and then, you know, you, you're, you're, I'm sitting on the plane. And I'm a pretty good-sized fella, right? I'm a pretty good-sized fella. But this guy got onto the plane. He stepped on the plane. And when he stepped on the plane, the plane moved. <laughs> And he wasn't, he, wasn't just, he wasn't just overweight, he was just a giant, right? And he's walking down like this, down the, and I'm thinking, surely not, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, oh, yes. And he gets to where I'm sitting, and he says, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> and I didn't say, but I thought, yeah, I am too, Amen. <laughs> So he, sits, so he sits down beside me. And, and honestly, he was so big that when his back touched the seat, it put him probably eight inches ahead of me, you know what I'm saying, which worked out reasonably well. Now I just kind of, I, I looked so tiny tucked in behind this guy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> when, when, she, when, the, when they came to give out drinks, she said you know, to him, would you like anything? And then she looked around him and said, sir, <laughs> I'm good, I'm good, I'm good over here. So I'm sitting there listening to the two little girls. Sitting, and this guy was really nice, by the way. He's a wonderful man. He really, really was a wonderful man. And it's not his fault that he's a giant. Although I did notice that he was nervous about being as big as he was. So when she asked if you'd like anything to eat, he said, can I have two of them? And I thought, no, you don't need two of them, brother. You one, one will be more than enough. And so I put my headphones in, and I opened the Word of God, and I listened to Bobby McKinney. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit gave me such, and I mean this with all my heart, two hours of flying went by just like that. And I had such tremendous peace and the opportunity to talk because of the open door that God gave. This is not me before. This is just not who I was. This is the difference that Christ came to make in our lives. This is the difference that God the Holy Spirit makes in our lives. And I'm telling you, God purposed to put those two little girls there and this great big giant of a man sitting. And you guys know what seats are like. We're not flying first class, you know what I'm saying? You know what the seats are like on an airplane. God did all of this not to, I don't think to test me, I think to show me the difference that he's able to make in our hearts and lives. He's able to make that difference. So here's what he says in John chapter 17. We're just going to read a couple of verses together and look at a couple of things. Now, again, this is the Lord Jesus who's going to send the Holy Ghost, and he wants us to understand his love for us in doing so. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. That we, I'm, I'm telling you, I'd be honest with you, before I say this again, that we get to see this conversation is amazing to me. It's a really personal conversation between the Father and the Son. 
and it's recorded for our benefit. Okay? These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. What hour, by the way? Remember many times earlier when they wanted to kill Jesus, it said, but his hour had not yet come, right? They wanted to kill Jesus a long, long time ago, but the hour had not yet come. So the hour that has come is it's time for them to kill him. Listen, they can't take his life. He must lay down his life. Amen? And he makes it very clear. He says this. They can't kill me. They can't kill me. It's not possible that man can kill God. But it is possible for God to lay down his life for man. And so that hour has come. And I know we've talked about this many, many times as a church. Jesus is not afraid of the beating. Jesus is not afraid of the crucifixion. Jesus is not afraid of anything. But he doesn't want to be separated from the Father. And that's getting ready to happen. And you and I have no... I'm separated from Kathy right now. Kathy and Rebecca, right? I left them. She won't be back for a month. She'll be gone for a month. This is weird to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird now and it's day two. And by the time, by the, time the, the month goes by, we may have to introduce ourselves to each other. Amen? It's remarkable that they're going to be separated from each other. It says, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was amazing. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they received them, and hast known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and all thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I want to stop there for just a moment. There's, a, there's, a past, there's, there's an expression in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Look up here, please. Now, this is a very important truth. Jesus prays for everyone who will believe God at his word. He does. Everyone. He doesn't pray for those who won't. This is really important. Now, if you turn with me to 1 Peter, keep your ribbon here, keep your finger here, keep your hand here. I'm going to turn to 1 Peter. We just studied 1 Peter a little while ago, but I want to, I want to bring this to your, attention, to your attention. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says elect, talking about those who are, who are Christians, those of us that are born again. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now what I want you to notice is this book is being written to those who are the elect. But notice who the elect are. They are, they are the elect according to what? What does it say? Foreknowledge. 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit and unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So you see God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son all together, yes? But it's according to what? Foreknowledge. Now, let me help you understand foreknowledge. Hopefully, I'm going to ask a question, and it's meant to be rhetorical, so be careful before you answer it. Do any of you gamble? Nobody say yes. If you do gamble, if you did gamble, and I told you, I think, I don't think, I think the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing each other today. Is that right, Daryl? It hasn't gone so well for the Yankees the last couple of days, has it? I'm sorry. I probably wouldn't have pointed that out if it had gone the other way, but since it didn't, I just thought I'd bring it up. So they're going to play again today. And if we knew the score, right, if we knew the score now, we could act on it, right? And since gambling is legal in the United States of America, you could put money down on the game already knowing the outcome, right? Well, that's a sure thing. See, election is according to foreknowledge. God knows who's going to say yes and who's going to say no because he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. Time does not matter to God. Time matters to us, but time does not matter to God. So God is not rejecting anybody. You understand? God simply knows who's going to reject him. God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish, but many will perish. Amen? So as we go back now to John chapter 17, well, I just want you to know, because as you read this and he says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, he's not excluding anybody. He simply knows that there are those who are not going to receive him, who are not going to believe God at his word, and they are lost. They are lost. But it is not God's will that they be lost. It is not God's will. But what I want you to notice is what he says here is this. I want you to see how much Jesus wants there to be not only unity in our lives, but unity between us and them, between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and now us being added to this. Verse 9, I mean, verse 11, I'll begin reading there. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Now look here, please look here. He's going to say in just a little bit, we're going to keep reading, that the world would know when we love each other, and I'm not saying when we tolerate each other, when we love each other, as God would have us to love each other. Because of the Holy Ghost living in me, I love Kenny. And because of the Holy Ghost living in Kenny, Kenny loves me. Now, Kenny and I might like each other anyway. Kenny and I might like each other. I mean, Kenny and I spend a fair amount of time traveling together. Kenny's hilarious. He really, really is. I mean, he's fun to be around. He really is enjoyable to travel with. So we would probably like each other anyway. But we love each other. And because we love each other, and we don't really have anything in common. I mean, again, I was just joking with Daryl uh, more about the Yankees and the Red Sox. We really, I mean, it isn't just that I respect Daryl. We like each other. You know what I'm saying? We love each other in Christ. But what a change in our life has been wrought. It doesn't matter where I go in the world when I meet Christians all over the world, no matter what their language is, no matter what their culture is, no matter what their education is, it doesn't matter because they are new creatures and I'm new creatures. They are born of God. I, it's not like it's a club. Christianity is not a club. It's a new life. 
And because we have been made new creatures, there's a difference in our life. And this difference causes the world to know this, that Jesus is who he says he is. So here's the real problem with failure in churches. It's an embarrassment to Jesus. Listen, he's not the one embarrassed. That's not the point that I'm making. He should never receive, he should never receive the scorn that you and I are capable of bringing into his life because of our actions. So if you're a new creature, if you really are a new creature, then understand the significance of not walking after your flesh anymore. Your flesh is ugly. My flesh is ugly. And when people get to see our flesh interact, man, it is ugly to see. And they don't need to see that anymore, praise God. Now, so we're going to go back to reading, but I want you to have that in mind as we continue to read. I want you to have in mind what it is he's wanting to accomplish. In verse 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept and lost none of them, save the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but thou should keepest them from the evil. Amen? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And here's where we are, right? Here we are in this passage. Not only is he praying for the disciples, but he's praying for those that shall believe on the word that the disciples are going to preach. And that eventually gets to you and me. That, listen, that they all may be one. And notice how he keeps saying this phrase. Not just that we should be one, but that we should be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. These have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? So this is the, listen, as the Holy Ghost is coming into our hearts and lives at the time that we're born again, it is so that we can have this unity with God. So that we can be one with God. I want you to think about it. Mitch, you, Mitch, just think about it for just a minute. Russ, just think about this for just a minute for me. Who are we? Who are we that we could be one with God? Honestly, Doc, who are we? Who are we that we should be one with God? And what have we done to deserve it? 
And the answer is, we've done nothing. And Jesus has done everything. And you, can, and you can hear in his voice the longing that he has for this to happen. Remember, just a little while ago when we were studying, we saw it a little while ago, just a little while ago in John, he says to them, it's expedient for you that I go away. Right? You guys don't want me to go. I understand that you don't want me to go, but it's important for you that I go because when I go, I'm going to put my blood into the Holy of Holies made without hands. And when, the ho- and when that blood is applied, the Holy Ghost is going to come. And he's going to come and he's going to, again, not be around you, not be on you. He's going to be, and that changes everything, doesn't it? As I said, it changes how you fly. It changes how you go into the store. It changes how you interact with your family, with your coworkers, with your extended family, your neighbors. It changes everything. It does. Praise God it does. By the way, let me say this. If it hasn't changed everything, Ask God to change everything. If you're not a new creature, you can't have this. And I mean this with all my heart. You can, but not as you are now. You're going to have to trust Christ. You're going to have to come to him that he might give you the authority to become the child of God, that you might become a new creature, that the Holy Ghost might live in you. But I'm telling you, once the Holy Ghost lives in you, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. Galatians 5.22 is suddenly available to you in its fullness All of it, love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, patience. What a tremendous, tremendous gift. This is what God has done for us. And here, before he lays down his life, we see our Lord Jesus and the joy that he has for being able to do this. And the the joy that God the Father and God the Son have together and want us to be able to enter into that. Let me ask you this honestly. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you understand how significant and wonderful it is that you, you personally, can walk with God? God in you. All the fullness of God in you through the Holy Spirit. Changing you, conforming you to the image of His Son. What a wonderful truth. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I'm so, so grateful for what we saw together this morning. Lord Jesus you who created everything, you who hold everything together, you laid down your life so that we could have everything, everything. Lord, I pray, I pray this morning for each and every person that's here, Lord, that they would receive from your word that which you have for them. Lord, that the child of God that's in the room today would be honest with themselves about whatever there is that's lacking in their life, even though they are a new creature, even though the Holy Ghost is living within them, that they would say, and yet, somehow, this is not the reality of my life. This part of that seems to be missing in my life. And Lord, that they would cry out to you that you would give them the fullness of this truth. And then, Lord, for those that are not here, excuse me, that are, that are not saved, that are here, that are not new creatures, that, Lord, they would no longer try in their own strength, that they would no longer try to live good enough to please God, but that they would just surrender, that they would repent, that they would turn away from that thinking and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, Lord, knowing, knowing that you want to have mercy upon them, that you want to forgive them, that you sent your son to do so. Lord, you didn't come to condemn. I love that truth. You didn't come to condemn, but to save. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thou art the Savior. Thou alone can save. I thank you for this. We praise you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.